Welcome to the KZoo Poetry Slamcast. My name is Tracy Smith. Today is December 18th, 2023, but the recording you'll be listening to was recorded on the first Tuesday in April in the year 2002. It's the second half of the first round of our semifinal slam to determine the team that went to the National Poetry Slam in Minneapolis. In this episode, you're going to hear the second half of the slam, followed by a short feature by our guest host, Deb Marsh. Listening to this recording after 20 years has reminded me that memory is a construct, a story, a poem we tell ourselves over and over again. Because I remember Deb and Steve Marsh as being the mom and dad of the Poetry Slam, the adults in the room, people who had their shit together. And I'm older now than they were then, and I realized they probably didn't have their shit together. And I also remember from listening to this that if Deb was the mom of Poetry Slam, she was kind of like your friend's hot mom. She was smarter and prettier and nicer than your own mom. And I had a little bit of a crush on her back in the day. But that was back then, and this is now, and now it's almost Christmas. So I'm probably going to take a couple weeks off from posting the archives, and we will get to round two of 2002's semifinals in January. Next week I'll probably post some best ofs from the CDs that we sold back in the day so yeah happy holidays here's some fucking poetry this is slam poem. later like the poems are like you dirty fucking whore but this is one of the good ones from the beginning my ears reach in the suburban noise of night the question asked in one naked moment i am the spinner i am the poet i am the industrial And next up, please clap for Nate. I have been done a grave injustice. Something was taken from me when I was very young. So young, in fact, that I could not defend myself against its theft. Those bastards took one of the few things I brought with me into this world, one of the few things I could truly call my own. And you might say, well, what could they take from a little baby? But goddammit, 72% of the men in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. I want my foreskin back. I don't know why they took it in the first place. It's important. A foreskin's a terrible thing to waste. And it's not like I can get an answer out of my parents. They just look at me and shake their heads. My mom said it was my dad's idea. And my dad said it was just a thing to do. And I said the thing to do was to assault Mr. Tito with a paring knife? What the hell were you thinking? Was mom just sitting there holding me in her arms with a doctor walked in and nonchalantly mentioned in passing that he thought it'd be a great idea if he, oh, you know, hacked my package? Well, son, there are a couple of things you should know. First of all, the foreskin isn't an essential part of the body, and it carries with it a certain risk of infection. Well, well, maybe your guidance counselor can explain this better. What? It isn't an essential part of my body? And she is my broadsword. Even the dog has his foreskin. Why did you circumcise Benji, Dad? Well, what your father's trying to say, dear, is that he just wanted you to look like him. You know, down there. 
Why? So he could pick me out of a crowd? Genetics ain't strong enough, Dad? You gotta have the captain's eye patch, too? I want it back! Oh yeah, I want it back. I want the world's greatest plastic surgeon to fashion me a bionic foreskin. It'll be 18 inches long. USA can make a special feature film about me called The Boy Who Got His Flat Back. I want my foreskin to be televised around the world. I want John fucking Bobbitt to look at his television and say, Nothing, because I'll be too busy weeping like a little Nancy boy at the sight of my gargantuan reattached foreskin. But it'll be more than that. It'll be the world's first ever fully automated, decircumcised bionic foreskin 6000. And it'll be programmed by a special team of experts from Microsoft, including Bill Gates, because he lost his foreskin too. Yeah, it'll have a Pentium 4 processor. I want to surf the internet with my penis. That's it. It'll glow in the dark. I could use it for a flashlight. It'll have a little day planner organizer in it. We'll call it the, uh, the, uh, the Rosie Palm Pilot. Yeah, I want my my foreskin back and I want it to make a noise when I get a hard on like this. Shink! And I want it to be voice activated so that when I do get a hard on at one of those times, you know, like at the pool or in the showers after gym class, I can say, Bionic Foreskin 6000, initiate standby sequence, and it'll shut itself down. <laughs> Mom, Dad, nothing personal, but it's not easy to explain to your uncut friends why your well-educated parents decided to lop off your wiener wrapper. It just doesn't make sense. And let me put it this way. When that special day comes in my life, when my wife is holding little Nathan Jr. in her arms and the doctor comes in with a surgical buzzsaw to go to work on my kid, he better watch out. He might lose more in his composure. It's Nate. Judges, hold those scores up. Up erectly. <laughs> All right, we have a 9.2, a 9.6, a 9.8, a 9.0, and another 10. A 28.6 for Nathan. You can clap for that score. And you should keep on clapping because Greg is up next. Skit, skit, do the bop, da da, tick, tack, to do with the bop, skit, 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 to do with the bop, da da, skit, skit, to do with the bop, da da, skit, man. Bold, because a church on a Sunday morning with the clarin bells jingling out a holy melody, standing on that corner like a one-man army, like the rest of his demolishers jumped inside his pants and did the walk to sin. Backwards, around his fruit of the looms, 2.45 p.m., and the holy man's going like a house on fire with his lips, pumping out the backbeat of a lost melody, jazzing around in the back of his pasteurized mind, but about it, a scat man. Cold. Got so many layers on him, you find the Paleozoic, you find the Jurassic, you find the Catatonic. He's a slamming Grand Canyon in every song he's ever sung, and every voice he's ever heard, and every name he's ever claimed. Keeps bouncing around, but bouncing around, but bouncing around in the back of his brain until it hits that canyon floor and it flows like a mighty river, but a body to scat man. Sold. Like the proud prince who was your father's father's great-great-grandfather, you rise every morning for the first time, scat man, for the last time, scat man, to see what you can see, but about to be what you can be, but about to thunder out your righteous harmony on the corner of the Dalian Avenue, be thunder out your righteous harmony on the 
Gordon of Vidalian Avenue, big in the hell, Scatman ballin'. Don't let him just walk on by, but a bang that bell, Scatman ballin'. Don't let him just watch you die, but a butter to Scatman. Told. I told him once back in Africa that his city is touched by the gods back in Africa. Put a robe on his back back in Africa. Put a crown on his head back in Africa. Put a ring on his finger back in Africa. And all the children would gather around to see what only the scat man could see. Be what only the scat man could be. The thunder out your righteous harmony on the corner of Vidalian Avenue B. I say now so I'm. It's a ham hawk in your cornflakes. I say now so I'm. It's a joint rolled out of toilet paper. I say now so I'm. It's a ring around your bathtub. I say now so I'm. It's a round righteous together thing. Wounded, flailing, fettered thing, around, round, righteous, together thing, wounded, fluttered, bleeding thing, scat man, gold. Hey man, we'll have none of that sauce, but brother, you got your own claws in the contract on America, and the contract on Americans now, scat man's churning, tearing up a storm in a bottle of bit, bop, jidubidi bop, skidooski, scat, jidubidi bop, skid, scat, did tapping out of a bebe bopping form, holding down that cement corner like a stack of sunny papers till the sun beats them warm. Now, scat man's blazing like a barn on fire, like the eight by ten, cross your daddy, watch by ten, cross your daddy, watch eight by ten, cross your daddy watched blazing in Montgomery on the day you was born. But it did tap two bit pots to his kid, scat to two bit pots, and it did tap put two bit pots to the scat man. Greg Liss. All right, what did the judges think? Oh, we're missing one. Okay. We have... We have an 8.6. I don't know. Are you on crack? That's the question. A 9.0, a 9.2, an 8.5, and a 9.5. Hey, if you like that poem, you clap now. What do you got? 27.8? Yes? No? 26.8 for Greg Bliss. That's right. You learned. You're supposed to clap now. And you should keep on clapping because Andy's on his way to the stage. Welcome, Andy. No, no. I said welcome, Andy. The lights blink to a syncopated beat as she waltzes with the reaper for two weeks straight. Flashing monitors follow the footsteps of her delirious dance while sweat pours from an ice-cold brow. Machine gun synapses fire tracers at the shattered lens of her blinded mind's eye as tubes pump life in and pump death out and pump life in and pump death out in quantities almost too small to really matter. The lights blink to that syncopated beat as she waltzes with the reaper for a two-week rendezvous, and he whispers, come with me. Monitors take up a frenzied frequency as her body resists the urge of her soul to give in to his sweet enticements of rest and peace. 
Doctors demand to cut in on their dance, declaring that device after device after device will improve her comatose condition. Parents pray while priests prattle and rattle rosaries, then drip a single drop of the blood of Christ on chapped and chafed lips. Waiting room couches crowded with confusion and concern, all waiting their turn to watch the waltz unfold. The lights blink to that syncopated beat as she waltzes with the reaper for a day-long moment more. A tear-streaked mother pulls pills from her purse, tossing them trashward as a frightened and frustrated father falls feet to the floor, screaming, damn, your devices, stop stepping in. Doctors demand to cut in again and again and again. Cut into her body, cut into her mind, only to find that the reaper has taken all of her yesterdays and tomorrows, leaving her forever in the here and now, in the here and now, in the here and now. She would have been safer playing with bullets and bombs than to accept the invitation to the Dexatrim dance that turned her mind into an empty dance floor. Same song, same song, same song playing over and over again. No cutting in allowed. That was Andy. Judges, what'd you think? If you guys like what you see, you know that next week we're going to have another one of these semifinal rounds, and the poets are going to be back up to do another poem next time. So if you liked it, you should come back and see it again. Hold them up. Okay, we got some scores, and we need to put out the cigarette that's indoors. We have, wait, I can't see that one. We have an 8.2, an 8.8, 8 8.9, 8.1, and 9.1. If you like that poem, please clap for the poet now. A 25.9 for Andy. And please welcome to the stage with a hearty round of applause. You know what? You guys will have two poems left before you get to take a break. And then you can smoke. Can you wait for two more poems? Okay, so let's clap now because Beth is coming to the stage. I am a rock woman, a pebble woman, the woman made of stone, wild-eyed, opal, mystical, amethyst, smooth, jade-skinned, uncut woman. I am the woman who does not know her worth. Woman dug from the earth by the old woman, I am the young woman, bathing in the shade of the tree woman, peeling birch skin like parchment, long strands of willowy hair landing everywhere in yellowed piles, the woman falling apart, making a mess of everything. I am every woman. Kiss my face, touch stone of grace and beauty. 
I am a fertile soil woman, moist woman, a mother who plants seeds, blossom and stem, pollen woman surfing a breeze. I am mint woman, lavender and eyebright, woman steeped and strained, a drained woman, the damp remains of a woman with purpose. I am the steaming brew, tea herb, rut woman, healing the sick body, bent and carved stick woman, whittled woman of the woods, dressed in lichen and moss, passed like time, passed over, passed around, the woman you had almost forgotten. I am every woman, touch my hand, an open text and willing guide. I am a bonfire woman, branches and twigs, a smoldering charcoal woman aglow, gleaming, billowing in puffs of smoke, a gray cloud woman, full of storm, steaming, radar woman, a woman who knows. I am a magic woman, casting spells of love, a charmed woman, hung with feathers, wild as a bird woman, eagle woman, a pet canary, parrot flapping my beak, a vulture woman. Don't look away, don't close your eyes like a blind woman, dead woman kept in the dark, night woman, secret woman kissing with the lights out, woman who stands in shadows, turns her head. I am every woman, take my heart, replace the parts you've lost. I am a holy woman, woman of the rings, temple woman, worshipped, trampling the barefooted rhythms of belief, a sage burning, bead stringing, kneeling woman of prayer and meditation, Woman with a treble hum, tribal bass drum, woman of the wind, strapped between thighs beating, rawhide with red hands, my song washed in the moontide, ritual dancing through midnight foam, a chanting woman bantering with the sky, roho no mi en kayo, roho no mi en kayo, haino kai mi anai, haino kai mi anai. Every woman take my heart, touch my hands, kiss my face. Touchstone of grace and beauty. Judges, what do you think of that poem? Hold up those scores. All right, we've got we've got an eight point nine. A 9.2, a 9.2, an 8.4, and a 9.6 for Beth. You can clap now. Steve? A 27.3 for Beth. That's a pretty good score. You can clap for that. And keep on clapping for the last poet in this semifinal round. Please welcome to the stage, Jeffrey. Hi, this is a new piece. It's called Your Father's Belt. So I remember the first time my mom lost her head. I don't remember what it was that triggered it, really. Maybe I didn't rinse the dishes before I put them in the dishwasher, or maybe I poured milk on that cat. It was right around the time I was expanding my vocabulary, experimenting with those sharper, less rounded words. Maybe I told her I had to take a shit, or maybe she caught me taking a piss in the dining room, or maybe I raised my nose and lowered my voice, mumbling that word, bitch, under my breath as I left the room. Maybe I didn't even answer her, just ignored her. Maybe the lack of my presence is what set her off. 
I was seven or eight years old. My mom was four foot 11 inches high. She was a mostly soft-spoken woman, busy with the responsibility of us four boys, me and my two older brothers, my father and me, the youngest. I remember that day she decided to beat me, but I couldn't say what it was I'd done. That's it, Jeffrey. She was using my full name. You're coming with me, young man. She pulled me by my wrist into my room, onto the bed. I was resisting, squirming and pushing inside her arms. She was trying to hold me down while simultaneously reaching with her free hand for absolutely anything she could. You wait right here. Don't even think about moving. I'm moving. I'm going to get your father's belt, Jeffrey. I remember I didn't move. I just stuck there, frozen like another stain on a sheet. She stomped down the hall to my father's dresser, grinding her teeth and cursing, still using my entire name. I won't take this, Jeffrey Paul St. John, son of a bitch. I'll show you better. Listen to me. I don't remember how long she was gone. It could have been hours. But I wasn't moving. I don't remember when she did return, more frazzled than before. She held me down despite all that momentum. She told me it was going to hurt. I remember as she began swinging down upon my buttocks, but I don't remember how many times it took for me to realize that all her swinging didn't actually hurt, really. I remember I told her, that's not a belt. Your father doesn't wear belts. This is all I could find. She was striking me with a blue and gold striped necktie. She may have had even more than one. I remember how she finally gave in, the way she left the room a little shorter than she'd arrived, the way I was laughing at her, the tenderness of her threat, laughing at the inability she had to hurt me. And I remember laughing at her and the love she had for me. Judges, what do you think of Jeffrey, Paul, say, John. Hold him up. I don't know anything clever. I'd like to thank everybody for coming and showing up tonight and showing your support for the Slammers. They really need that support, it's true. And um, it sure looks like from watching uh, tonight's show that Kalamazoo's gonna put forth a really good national team. I'm sure of that, I'm sure of that. Can I start yet? I can start, okay. This first poem I'm gonna do, um, it's a poem that my daughter asked me to do. And um, I am the mother of three daughters. They are lovely, beautiful young women. Hi, Todd. And my oldest daughter asked me to do this poem. And I'm not really sure why, but I'm gonna put it on. It's called Busy Love. The ring formed a deep orange red at the bottom of the test tube. I accepted this was how it was supposed to be, the stuff of fairy tales. The doctor verified and made the happily ever after pronouncement. We all celebrated. What a party. But afterward, there was much for me to do. I began eating green leafy vegetables twice a day, swallowing the vitamin tablets the doctor prescribed. I drank only milk and juice and water. I stretched my muscles, strengthening my body, making room for you. I practiced my breathing so our delivery would go well. And soon, I felt the slightest flicker of movement, a butterfly softly touching the walls of my uterus, and I knew it was you responding to my hard work, to my busy love. So I kept up the routine, eating green vegetables twice a day, swallowing vitamin tablets to doctors prescribed, drinking only milk and juice and water, stretching and strengthening my body, practicing my breathing for your birth. You continue to move to respond to me. I swelled with pride and wore the costumes of our condition well. 
I planned and prayed and called you by name. I told you of my dreams for our life together. I urged you to grow strong and well and quickly. I waited for your kicks and felt that you understood why I was eating those vegetables, swallowing those vitamins, drinking only milk and juice and water, stretching and strengthening my body, practicing my breathing. But then I noticed a change. I waited a long time for your kick, and when it finally came, it seemed weak, not like before. Wasn't I doing everything I was supposed to do, eating vegetables, swallowing vitamins, drinking fluids, stretching and strengthening, practicing breathing? No one seemed to notice the change, but when I read you, the children's story that I read to you every night, you didn't respond. The research said that you should like to hear the same words, the same story rhythms and sounds. You should respond. Why don't you respond? I eat more vegetables. I drink more fluids. I take more vitamins. I stretch more. I breathe more. The wait time is terrible. I lay flat on my back. Dr. Penelope Leach's book in one hand and your round fullness under the other, waiting for you to kick, waiting for you to move, waiting for you to respond. Eat more, swallow more, drink more, stretch more, breathe more. I am scared. I don't feel you move. I want to believe that you will come. I want to believe that everything I did for you will make a difference. Eat, swallow, drink, stretch, breathe. But it didn't. I pushed you out, and you were blue. A knot tied in your umbilical cord took away your food, your life, everything I did for you. You were bluish gray. And you are perfect, but you don't eat, swallow, drink, stretch, breathe. Okay. The next poem I'd like to do is called Drinking. I'm going to do some downers, and then I'll do some happier ones at the end. Um, this is called Drinking. Watching her sip, swallow, lick her lips, and put the glass down, table and glass, clicking the stem. I'd watch her after school, after church, after dinner, after lunch, after things. Before might be noticed. Before might be bold. Before might admit the truth. Sometimes she'd cry, read paperback romance novels and cry. Sometimes she'd gather us children, hold us close, and breathe sweet words, precious secrets that Daddy could know. One time she left us for days, left us and Dad. No calls or notes, just an empty glass on the table. Still, she's gone, still announcing her absence. Three days later, I moved the glass, and it stuck just a little, clicking the stem, table, and glass at odds. After I washed away the watermark and put the glass away, she came home. Said she had to test a theory, needed to know if this life was the life for her. She never told us the answer, but she ended up staying, drinking and staying, sipping and staying, swallowing and staying, her glass on the table, wood and glass at odds after she came home.
The next poem I want to do, um, this is not actually my voice, but it goes with drinking, sort of. This is a poem I wrote in my husband's voice, Steve Marsh's voice. And it's really for anyone who um, likes to drink, <laughs> or likes to drink beer in particular. It's called Writing in Steve Marsh's Voice, Beer. This is how it is, you see, this big belly of mine. It's my badge. It's my identity. I've earned it. Worked hard to get where I am now. I used to be a 33. A 44 says manly, virile, sizable. A 44 says power, money, stature. A 44 says meat and potatoes and beer, chips and beer, pretzels and beer, pizza and beer, hot dogs and beer, hamburgers and beer, steak and beer, 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 beer. When I first tasted it, I hated it. But with long-standing persistence, and a newfound penchant for Guinness, I finally mastered it. That hoppy aroma, that multi flavor, that learned taste. I love beer. Okay, yeah. <laughs> this next poem, we're going to just go away from drinking now. And um, something that often happens. Well, I don't know, this poem's not really about that, but all right. This is called, but it goes with the fact that he's my husband. It's called, We Sleep the Way We Live. You came this morning, and it was good, like coffee on a groggy day. I closed my mouth tight round your body and drank you in, licking the last drop. And you, in your dream state, groped for me, reaching for my head, my cheek to lay upon your chest, in my place, next to you, but not exactly so. Funny how in that place there is comfort for someone who is seeking to stand side by side with you. It is odd that in lying I fit so easily into the smaller, into the protected, into the crook of your arm, my head resting on both your chest and shoulder, my leg lacing with yours, my arm coming to relax to, at the place where your abdomen and pubis meet. I do not think that you would lie so well in that place. My arm and chest could support, but your stubble chin and mustache would prevent. My brownish pink nipple so close to your eye would urge you hot and wet and breathless or sought, milk sweet, abandoned. The positions are hard to alter. I, too, can have trouble in that place. Sometimes my neck complains. Sometimes my right arm goes numb. And so before we sleep, we separate, roll over, touch barely, one another shoulder to shoulder, hip to hip. We snore loudly and turn frequently, half waking to find ourselves spooned or entwined or toe-touching. And in the morning we wake, drink our coffee, and stand next to each other, knowing that at night we will come together, speak of our days, share our thoughts, celebrate ourselves. And in our bed next to you, I will settle comfortably into that place and fall asleep. Okay, this is my political poem. I only have one political poem. And um, I don't know if you guys are going to think it's a po political poem or not, but it's my political poem. It's called, 
a message to the media for my fat butt and bulging stomach. <laughs> Do I have that sat on my ass too long look? Or is it that sexy saddlebag style body no cowboy could ever resist? I know, I have the body of a Renaissance woman, like in the paintings at the art museum, Rubens, Botticelli, Rembrandt. Too bad I'm 500 years too late to be stylish. I'm supposed to hate this body. I suppose I hate this body. The extra skin, the silhouette in the mirror. But it looks like those paintings of women who enjoyed their nakedness, who loved their lovemaking. I think I have one of those bodies because I love to eat. I eat to love. I eat because I love. My mouth craves sweet, tender flesh. My tongue longs to caress the flavors of food. My salivary glands get wet. I love to bite into a good filet and drink warm red wine. My body tingles from the alcohol. I smile and lick my lips, not wanting the flavor to go away. That must be why those women in the paintings have such sweet smiles. A friend once told me that when a woman is truly in love, she gains weight. Another friend says, weight gain is directly proportional to the degree of depression. I think my first friend is right. My marriage has changed me. I laugh a lot more. I write a lot more. I get it more. I get really good it more. And I've added to my life. But the constant urging by the media to eat low-fat foods, look like a supermodel, run or step or get my own personal trainer, remind me that I look like this. I should have a tight, taut little body that any woman would die for, but I don't. I have the body of a woman who eats Dove bars while watching Star Trek at midnight. <laughs> I have that sagging stomach, cellulite thigh, full moon look of a nacho-eating, wine-drinking, poetry-reading gal. At the movies, I watch Julia Roberts, her hip bones jutting out beyond her abdomen, and I wonder what makes that flatness so attractive and me fat. In the movie, she's funny and she's sexy and she's sleeping with Brad Pitt, and I'd love to be funny or sexy. Heck, I'd just like to meet Brad Pitt. So here I stand, a little on the chunky side, thinking maybe it's time that I should start hanging out at art museums instead of movie theaters? <laughs> Maybe both my friends are right. It is depressing when I compare myself, but my husband knows better than to say anything about my weight, so I'm blaming this Rubenesque body on love. Okay, and this last poem I'm going to do for you tonight is called Write Me or Sleeping with a Poet. And maybe some of you have done that before. And if you haven't, you should try it. I really think you should. No, no, you should try it a lot. It's good for you. It's good for you. Okay. Now to think of the words. Words that fit together, strong, Full, vital, that's what you write. Your images jump from the page in front of my eyes and flirt with me, touch me, tease me. That's what you write. 
Serious, sensuous, mystic, gross, aching, urging, thrusting, caressing. That's what you write. You move me. Your framework entices. Your structure excites. Your diction invites. Your syntax tantalizes and your analysis persuades. I am an open page waiting for your pen to, at first, touch me softly, tingling my skin. Your pen is strong, heavy, skilled. Your movements are exact and accurate. Your words are well-crafted and I am delirious with your art. I respond, your pen responds. I move, you move. We create a word-filled world where commas stop exactly where they want and dashes govern whole paragraphs. We play with synecdoche. We rise to metonymy. We achieve allegory and we break the grammar rules. Our connotations are discarded. Our denotations are forgotten. Our images are vivid. Our focus is sharp. Our rhythm is strong. Our poem is done. Your pen rests. The ink has flown freely. My page is wet and full and smiling. That's what you write. Thanks. Thank you, Kalamazoo, for letting me come here. This is a full-blown four-alarm holiday emergency here. We're going to press on, and we're going to have the hap, hap, happiest Christmas since Bing Crosby tap danced with Danny fucking K. And when Santa squeezes his fat white ass down that chimney night, He's going to find the jolliest bunch of assholes this side of the nuthouse. <laughs>